G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. Today, Pastor Greg Laurie points out that healthy, growing Christians are sometimes the favourite targets of our spiritual adversary. If you are indeed growing as a Christian, if you are progressing in the Christian life, you're going to come into the crosshairs of the devil. Why? Because now you have become a bona fide threat to his kingdom. If you find yourself constantly being harassed and tempted, that may be an indication you're on the right track. This is the day when the lost are found. This is the day for a new beginning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Again, you hear all the angels are singing. This is the day, the day when life begins. Our spiritual adversary is a formidable foe. He knows that if he can take down a believer who's actively living out his faith, he scores a big win for his kingdom of darkness. Not only is the believer's life affected, but many others around them as well. Today on A New Beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie helps us to understand the tactics of our adversary and to be prepared for his attacks. We'll learn how to stand our ground and resist the temptations that seem to surround us constantly. Quick uh, poll before we get started. How many of you have ever been tempted to sin? Raise your hand up. Okay. Uh, how many of you have given in to the temptation to sin? Raise your hand up. Okay. How many of you have resisted the temptation to sin? Raise your hand. Interesting, not quite as many hands. I don't understand that. Maybe you're the ones that really need to be here. But uh, listen, here's what you need to know everyone gets tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's only a sin when you give in to it, but everyone faces it, even pastors, of course. I heard a story about a minister that went to make a hospital call and he couldn't find a parking spot and he circled around and around and finally he double parked. And he, uh, he put one of his little cards under the windshield wiper in case an officer came along. He said, dear officer, I'm late for an appointment to minister to somebody and so I circled the block 10 times. I couldn't find a space. And then the minister wrote, forgive us our trespasses. <laughs> so the minister went and made his uh, visit and came back out and saw a parking ticket under his windshield wiper. He was a little surprised by that. But he noticed the officer wrote something extra on the ticket. And the officer wrote these words, dear reverend, I've circled this block for 10 years. If I don't give you a ticket, I'll get fired. And then the officer wrote, lead us not into temptation. (laughs) So I guess that officer read his Bible too. So that's what I want to talk about. Why does God allow temptation? Now, this is a part of our series, what every growing Christian needs to know. We've already seen the importance of studying the Bible if we want to grow spiritually. We've seen the importance of 
a prayer life if we want to grow spiritually. We've seen the importance of being a vital part of a church if we want to grow spiritually. And now we're going to talk about why temptation comes. It doesn't make sense. Why would God allow us to be tempted? What possible good could come out of it? Well, here's what you need to know. If you are indeed growing as a Christian, if you are progressing in the Christian life, you're gonna come into the crosshairs of the devil. Why? Because now you have become a bona fide threat to his kingdom. If you find yourself constantly being harassed and tempted, that may be an indication you're on the right track. If you can't remember the last time you were tempted, maybe you're not worth tempting. Ever think about that? See, so here's what we need to understand. Everyone will be tempted, and even Jesus was tempted. And that's what we're looking at here in Luke chapter four. Our Lord is beginning his public ministry at the age of 30. He's gone down to the Jordan River. He's been baptized by his cousin, John. And the Holy Spirit, as you recall, came upon Christ in the form of a dove, and the Father actually spoke from heaven and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What an epic moment. We see the Trinity in action here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what happens next? We read that immediately after that, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What? After a moment like that? Yes, after a moment like that. After the dove came the devil. After the blessing came the temptation. Now why would he go through that? So he would be able to help us to understand that he has walked in our shoes. So we would understand that we serve a God that knows what it's like to face temptation. And he sympathizes with us. In fact, Hebrews 4.15, speaking of Christ, says, this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same temptations we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of grace of our gracious God that will receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it. So you can't say, oh, God doesn't know what it's like to live in the 21st century. God doesn't know what it's like to face temptation. Actually, God does know what it's like, and he faced it. But here's another reason why I believe Jesus was tempted. He occupied ground that we can occupy. Let me restate that. Jesus faced this, so we'll see how we should face it. He gives us a template to follow for the next time we come under temptation. So he's giving us an example to follow us. Now, nobody likes being tempted. It's a horrible thing to have to go through, but, but there is some value that can come from it. It's been said one Christian who's been tempted is worth more than a thousand who haven't been. Uh, another person said Christians are a lot like tea bags. You don't know what they're made of until you put them in hot water. And maybe you're in the hot water of temptation right now. And you're thinking, why is God allowing this in my life? Because it can make you stronger. It can cause you to be more dependent upon God and see His abundant resources that are at your disposal. It sort of toughens you up as a follower of Christ. And listen to this statement. And this is a, our first text here. James 1, verse 12 Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he'll receive the crown of life whom the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
So right off the bat we see some important things about temptation. Number one, it can be endured. It can be resisted. More on that later. Number two, there is a reward for the person who endures temptation because the promise is we'll receive the crown of life. And thirdly, you'll be a happy person if you resist temptation's pull because it says blessed is the man or literally happy is the man who resists or endures temptation. Okay, let's read Luke 4 and we're gonna read verses one to 13. Now Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if, and by the way, this could be translated since, so it wasn't a question of if Jesus was the Son of God. Satan was effectively affirming it. It could be translated since. Since you are the Son of God, says the devil, why don't you command the stone to become bread? Jesus answered him saying, it is written, underline that phrase, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil took him up to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said, all this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me and I can give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all of this will be yours. Jesus answered and said, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, underline that phrase again, you shall worship the Lord God, in him only shall you serve. Then Satan brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said, since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, notice the devil's quote in scripture now, for it is written, he will give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in your hands will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus answered and said, it has been said you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. You're listening to A New Beginning with Pastor Greg Laurie from Harvest Christian Fellowship in Riverside, California. And he's beginning to offer six observations on how to resist temptation. It's based on the Lord's response to temptation himself as recorded in Luke chapter four. Okay, so let's deal with issue number one. Where does temptation come from? Where does it come from? Well, we play a key role in our own temptation. Satan needs our cooperation in this area. Where there is no desire on our part, there is no temptation. It's been said, it takes two to make a successful temptation and you are one of the two, okay? So it's very easy to blame everything on the devil or blame everything on someone who maybe tempted you or, or whatever it is you're facing. But the reality is you have to cooperate with it. James 1.14 says, everyone is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and is enticed. And when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Now in this simple verse, or these two verses I should say, we have the five steps of temptation. Right there in James 1, 14 to 16. First of all, we have the temptation itself. Everyone is tempted. Again reminding us that everyone faces it. Number two, 
Let's say you're drawn, you're, you're attracted to that thing, you're tempted, now you're under its power. Verse 14, drawn away by your own desires, you see. This is the whole thing of try the sample, take the test drive, uh, go ahead and buy it and you can return it if you want. This is the strategy of that because, you know, I'm pretty good with resisting dessert. So after we're, we're maybe in a restaurant and we're eating, someone will say, you want to get dessert? Uh, no, nah, I don't want it. And someone will say, oh, I want it. And okay, bring the dessert with four forks, right? So everyone will start eating and I'll say to myself, I'm, I'm not going to eat any of that dessert. I'm just, it's a matter of principle. I'm not having any. And then someone says, it's really good, Greg, try it. Okay, I'll try a little bit. All I need is that taste. And now it's like I'm a shark that smelled blood, okay? And this is the thing my wife, you know, she likes to eat things in a long, leisurely way. So she'll take a bite and even sort of hold the bite while she talks like this. And the moment she turns away, I'm like, you know, just, I eat most of it. And she comes like, where did the food go? I don't know. It, but here's the thing. It was that little taste that gets me. Or maybe it's that test drive. You never planned on buying that car. Oh, but now that you have that new car smell and, and you've experienced it, now you say to yourself, I must have it. Well, that's temptation. You say, I won't do this thing. I won't give in to this temptation, but I'm gonna take it for a little mental test drive. I would never act on that lustful thought, but I'll go ahead and just play it through in my mind just for fun, sort of a little fantasy. There's no harm there. I would never actually reach out and kill a person, but I'll just sort of entertain the thought of beating them many times, I, or whatever it is. But the idea is you take it mentally. You see, you're already getting pulled in. Step number three, you're almost hooked. Verse 14 of James 1. You're drawn away by your own desires and enticed. Now, this is becoming problematic. It's sort of like the hook's in and you're getting reeled in, there's still a way out. And remember, friends, there's always a way out. There's always a way out. First Corinthians 10, 13, there's no temptation that you face that's not common to man. But God who is faithful will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but will the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And listen to this, sometimes the way of escape is as simple as the door. It's just the door. You know, maybe you're being tempted. You're laying down on a bed with your girlfriend. You're saying, I'm facing sexual temptation in this hotel room we just booked. And, um, <laughs> and we're laying here. And I don't know why this is happening. Number one, because you're an idiot. Number two, <laughs> you planned it and you set yourself up. Well, how do I resist it? In your case, you need to get out of there as quickly as you can. Simple as that. You don't need to lay there and say, God, give me strength. No, shut up with that. Just get out. Get out. Like when Potiphar's wife, the original cougar, this older woman, hit on young Joseph. She pulled him down on the bed and effectively said, have sexual relations with me. And he ran. Sometimes that's just the best thing to do. Just run. But see, at this point, we have a problem. You know, you're almost hooked. You're, you're enticed. So you're thinking. You're processing. You're considering. And that brings you to step number four. The hook is set. Desire is conceived. It gives birth to sin. So you act on it. And you do it. And maybe there's a little bit of fun. <laughs> but it's short-lived. It's short-lived. And maybe there's not even a little bit of fun. Maybe it's just miserable from the get-go. But whatever little momentary pleasure you have, now 
the deadness of sin sets in. You know what I'm talking about? And the guilt sets in if your conscience is working. So now you have a problem. Now you're separated from God in fellowship. And then the effects of sin set in. Verse 15, and sin when it's full grown brings forth death. It gets big and it becomes potent. You know, uh, we have a couple rabbits, our grandkids do I should say, and um, one is named Fuzzy and cute little rabbit, really like that rabbit. And they went out and bought another rabbit that was even smaller than Fuzzy. You could hold this rabbit in the palm of your hand. I think his name was Martin. So there's Fuzzy who's full grown. Martin's this tiny little rabbit. I don't know what happened, but Martin just grew like a weed. Next thing you know, Martin is bigger than Fuzzy. And, and he's kind of not cute anymore. Fuzzy's kind of dark brown and Martin's, I don't know, kind of weird like he came in from the field or something. <laughs> and then the thing is, is Martin is kind of aggressive. It's like Fuzzy would let you pet him and now that Martin's around him, Martin is a bad influence on Fuzzy and he's taking Fuzzy back to his wild rabbit ways, you know. And, and Fuzzy isn't the little rabbit you can pet anymore and they're both kind of wild and Martin gets bigger and bigger and then one day Martin just dies. We don't know why he died. And we said, bye. Okay, so that was the end of Martin, you know. What can you do? That sin, you know, it starts off cute. It's so cute. Just pet the little sin. Look at it. Then it gets bigger. Whoa, it's getting big. Then it's really big. But the problem is the sin's not going to die. You're going to die. <laughs> it's going to have its way with you. So don't even start with the thought. You have to resist it at the get-go. So having said all of that, everyone is going to be tempted. And it, everyone is going to face it at some point in their life. And so here we find Jesus facing temptation. And you know, I think it's very easy for us to place the blame on others. Again, quoting James 1.3, let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. Don't blame it on God. We do that sometimes. God, it's your fault. Adam did that. I mean, I don't know who Adam blamed. It was either God or his wife. But after he gave in to sin, he said, Lord, it's the woman you gave me. So either the emphasis is on woman or the emphasis is on you. In other words, either Adam said, it's the woman you gave me or it's the woman you gave me. Either way you look at it, Adam is shifting blame. He's not taking responsibility. It's not my fault, God. It's your fault. It's her fault. And then, of course, Eve says, well, the serpent tricked me, so she blames the devil. No one's accepting responsibility for their actions here. But uh, that's what it is. It's something that we're all going to face. Pastor Greg Laurie highlighting some important insights on temptation. And we're not done with this message. Next time he has a lot more to share on his six observations about temptation and how we can resist and avoid it. So I hope you can join us next time on Monday right here on A New Beginning. Have a great weekend. Now, for a copy of today's full message, get in touch with Vision Christian Store. It was called, Why Does God Allow Temptation in the Life of the Believer? Just go to visionstore.org.au 
or call 1-800-00-5011. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 